Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Watch This. Watch This with Liam Fabray. Today we're covering uh, some big stories. I have a lot of news to get to today. So Johnny Depp obviously won his case against Amber Heard. We're going to talk about that. We're going to tell you what he really won. Uh, we have some new details emerging from the Uvalde shooting. We'll tell you about those. Another shooting, unfortunately, yesterday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We have four people dead. The Biden administration announcing $6 billion in student loan debt relief. So that's good news. Maybe if you have some loan debt to pay off. Uh, we're going to talk about a few other things, but those aren't very important right now. So let's jump right in. All right, so uh, Johnny Depp won his case against Amber Heard. This, I think, we pretty much all knew. Everybody had sort of called her out as a, a bad actress and stuff, and, um, you know, people were sort of accusing her of fake lying, uh, or fake lying, fake crying, and then if you saw the videos on the internet, people were making fun of her. So you knew in the court of public opinion that she had already lost. I did a big recap on our last show about the sort of timeline of the incidents, and I, I didn't really take anybody's side, but just from the timeline, you kind of saw that she didn't have much of a case and that Johnny had a pretty good case against her. So last night the news broke that Johnny Depp won his case against her. Now what did, exactly did he win? Well, we're going to tell you exactly what the verdict was. So Johnny Depp won his defamation case against his ex-wife Amber Heard on Wednesday, that was yesterday, and the jury awarded him $15 million in damages. Depp was awarded $10 million in compensatory damages and $5 million in punitive damages. Now, I'm going to explain the difference between these two things to you because I just Googled it, and now I know what it is. So compensatory damages are to compensate someone, and punitive are to punish them. So he got $10 million to compensate him, I guess, from all of the negative press that he got from all this. They thought that $10 million was what they should compensate him. And he received $5 million in punitive. So to punish her, she's getting a f sort of $5 million slap on the wrist for what she did. And she's got to compensate him $10 million. Now, do I think this is fair? To be honest with you, not really. Johnny Depp is not, uh, Johnny Depp is not John Krasinski. Johnny Depp is a big-time actor. He was making, what did he make for Pirates of the Caribbean? Like $80 million. He lost one of his franchises because of this whole shabacle. So I, I don't know that $10 million is really enough. I mean, I know $10 million is a lot of money, but think of what he might have lost in terms of his career. But then again, you might say, well, maybe he got, gained some good press in this, and maybe this was actually good for him. But that's not really what the jury was meant to decide. But regardless, he got $10 million in compensation. She was... Uh, punished with $5 million, and the jury also awarded her $2 million in compensation and compensatory damages. So why did she have to be compensated? I don't know. I don't know. M M Mark, you were a big Amber Heard fan, right? You really liked Amber Heard, from what I understand? N uh, no. No? <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you loved Amber Heard. Didn't uh, you tell me that you thought she was great? I don't, I don't think I've seen a movie with her in it, Oh. besides maybe Machete Kills, and that's a freaking schlock film so you don't like machete kills no i mean i'm saying it's a schlock film like the acting isn't supposed to be oh, good it's supposed to be good right, right yeah, it's right. supposed to be just fun yeah 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 well i heard that she's not bad in movies but she she clearly sucked in her um in her in her her testimony it wasn't very believable and she wasn't a likable person she wasn't likable. You got to be likable if you want to be in show business right even if you're sort of kind of an ass you have to be likable in the fact that you're an ass um, and she's not that guy, pal. She wasn't that guy. 
So let's move on to the next story. We're going to keep this ball rolling here. So we have some new details emerging from Uvalde. Now, is it is it is it Uvalde or is it Uvalde? Is it like is it like you're impressed by someone who's named Valdi? Like, ooh, Valdi. Or is it is it like someone named Valdi is like pretending like they, they don't know that you're speaking to them and you're like, yeah, you, Valdi. I'm talking to you. Mark, you like this bit? I think it's ooh, but maybe I'm wrong. You think it's ooh, Valdi? I thought it was you, Valdi. Could be. I don't know. Okay, well, anyway, um, I don't now I don't know what to go with. Let's just go with Uvalde because that's what I thought it was before. But Mark may be correct. Um, so now we know some new details emerging. Now, look, everything I said in the last episode is true. I'm not walking back what I said. Right? This guy went in with guns and he killed a bunch of people. That's a fact. But uh, some other things also are facts. And we are now learning that the Uvalde police sat outside the school for over an hour before the team of Border Patrol agents decided, you know what, screw this, we're going in. The police were standing outside, um, fighting with parents. According to them, they were following procedure. Apparently, procedure wasn't to go in the school. Procedure was to stand outside the school and fight fight parents. That's what the procedure is when there's a school shooting, um, to get into fist fights with the parents whose children are being shot. So I didn't know that that was the procedure, but but and you know this is you know this it doesn't make logical sense to us, right? Because we're saying to ourselves, okay, you're a policeman. You are wearing a bulletproof vest. You have a gun. Your job is to uphold the law. And you have in front of you a kid who has gone into a school and who is now shooting innocent children. You think from a logical perspective, you know, that you would want the cop to go in. You're thinking to yourself, well, that's, the, that's his job, right? That's his job to, to do that. And then you're going to say, well, that's dangerous. That could be dangerous. They could get hurt. And it's like, yeah, that's true. That is true. Okay, hold on. That's true. But the fact that that's their job is also true. Both of these things are true. And that's sort of the issue here, right? When you have two things that are both true at the same time. Now, I know a little something about procedure. So I don't want to rip on the cops too much here because I know a little something about procedure. Mark, I have a story for you about procedure, and it sort of relates to this a little bit. Okay, shoot. shoot. Okay, and I just want you to hear my story, and I want you to see sort of how it ties into this. So... Um, a couple of summers ago, I was uh, a lifeguard in a pool. And if you guys have you know, ever done, li- it's a, lo- a lot of summer jobs for kids to be lifeguards. Um, you have to go through sort of like a lot of training to do it. It's not official, but you usually get some sort of certificate or a, a lifeguarding card. And they teach you sort of what to do. But then each pool also has their own set of rules about how they sort of have their procedure. And in this pool, whenever you jumped in to do what they call the rescue, when you when you jump in to actually help somebody. Because most of what the job is, is you sit in the chair and you tan. That's most of the job. And every once in a while, you blow the whistle to stop a kid from running. Or you say, hey, you can't do more than one jump on the diving board. Or, you know what I mean? You're kind of a, uh, you're kind of a party pooper. That's really your job. But every once in a while, you do what's called a rescue. And that's where you actually jump in the pool to save somebody who's drowning or who can't keep their head above the water uh, or whatever it is. You're with me so far, Mark? I'm with you. Okay, good. So, so this specific pool, their procedure for when the, when you did a rescue was that you would blow your whistle before you jumped in the pool. If you were going to do a rescue, the first thing you did is you blew your whistle and you jumped in the pool. 
And that was to sort of um, let everybody know that you were about to conduct a rescue. If they were about to jump in the pool, they would maybe know not to so that not too many people would be in it while you were doing it. If there were people in your way, they would sort of let you, you know, uh, provide a corridor for you to swim to do your rescue. If somebody was near the person who was drowning and didn't maybe had their back and didn't really notice the person was in trouble, they could possibly help them before I was able to get to them. This is why you blew the whistle. Now, at one point, there was this old couple who got in the pool, and I sort, of, I sort of saw them before they went in. I was sort of spotting them. I saw them walk in. They were sort of frail, old. It was an old woman, an old man. Yeah. And they sort of walked in, and they were wearing their bathing suits. When Usually when you see old people go to the pool, they're like dressed like they're going to the theater, you know? And it's like 95 degrees outside, but they're wearing like a winter coat because uh, they have poor circulation. But these guys were wearing their bathing suits, and I was like, oh, my God, are they going to get in the pool? And, and they did. And so I see them. They get in the pool. It took them about 45 minutes just to go down the ladder. They climb into the pool, both of them. And they're really cute, right? They're like one of those old couples that love each other. And they're sort of holding hands. And then what happens is that the pool sort of had a, a, a ledge that went into the deep end. And it was sort of a deep water drop-off. And if you're somebody who can't really swim, you're just holding yourself up by your feet. As soon as you go over that ledge, it's really hard to get back over. You have to swim back over into the shallow end. So what happened is that... This old man stepped backwards and he stepped, started going over the edge into the deep end. And his wife, yeah, Mark, go ahead. Oh, you're listening. Okay. And his wife held out her hand to sort of like pull him back in, but he's falling back into the deep end and she doesn't have much strength. So she falls back with him into the deep end. And at this point, neither of them can, whether they can swim or not, they're much too old and frail to swim. So I... I am I'm like, okay, I'm seeing this whole thing happen. I'm like, you know what? I got to jump in. I got to rescue them. And this is, this is what you, what's called a, a two-man rescue, right? You're going after two people and you're alone. So I was like, what I need to do is blow my whistle because I need anybody in that pool to help me with this rescue. So I go to blow my whistle and I realize I don't have my whistle with me. I don't have my whistle on me. And I, I'm looking around, I'm trying to, I'm, you know, searching my pockets. I look, I usually had it around my neck. It's not there. I start freaking out. Cause I'm like, before I can go in the pool to save them, I need to blow my whistle. That's the procedure. And these old people are drifting off into the deep end and I don't have my whistle. So I, I'm freaking out. So I run back into the office to try to get my whistle and I'm searching through all of the, you know, compartments and all the drawers and everything. I can't find the whistle. And so I realize I forgot it at home. It's, it's next to my bed. Because when you're a lifeguard, your whistle's like your badge and your gun, right? You carry it everywhere you go. And I had forgotten it by my bed. So I get into my car and I drive home to try to get my whistle. And by the time I get back to the pool, they had both drowned. Unfortunately, this is terrible. I'm sorry that this didn't have a good end to the story. But they were both dead. And, and when people were asking me, why didn't you just jump in and save them? And I was trying to tell them, hey, that's not the procedure. The procedure is to blow the whistle before you go in. You understand what I'm saying? So I sort of understand where these cops are coming from in that in that situation. Do you know what I mean, Mark? Oh yeah, you gotta follow the rules. You gotta follow. That's the Always procedure. Follow the rules. It's the procedure. And this is something that I'm very familiar with because of this story that happened to me. I was also a lunch monitor once, and one of the things that they taught you when you became a lunch monitor is if anybody's choking, you yell choking. And then you go and you start doing the Heimlich maneuver on the child. And that happened. And once I was, I was eating lunch with the kids and one of the kindergartners, his face turns blue and he starts to point at his mouth. He's choking, right? And everybody's, all the kids start freaking out. So immediately I jump up, but I forget what I'm supposed to yell out before I do the Heimlich. I can't remember the word that I'm supposed to say. 
And I'm thinking to myself, this kid's choking. I got to save him. But even that didn't make me think of what I was supposed to say. And so I called my dad and I said, maybe I've told my dad when I got the job, you know, I'd explained it to him and he had, maybe he would remember the word. I'm on the phone with my dad. Now, by this point, the kid's on the ground. He's dead, right? He's been choking for five minutes and I'm, you know, can't remember the word. But anyway, I'm trying to talk to my dad trying, and he can't think of the word. And afterwards, again, people told me the same thing. And I said, hey, hey, it's not the procedure. You got to follow the procedure. So anyway, I don't want to get too involved. And I have a few more stories about this of people that I've killed because of forgetting procedure. But I just want everybody to understand that sometimes procedure gets in the way and that's just the way it is. Nothing can be done. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's why procedure's there, right? You got to follow it. You got to follow the procedure. So we know that they sat outside the school because they were following procedure. um, And, you know, you know, everyone's hard on the cops, but, you know, that's what it is. You know, you got to do the procedure. Um, And look, I'm making jokes about this. Obviously, none of that happened. There's all made up stories. But but look, here's the real thing. Now, what the what the procedure is, I'm not going to pretend like I don't understand what they're where they're coming from. What they're saying is that when you have a barricaded suspect, that's something in law enforcement. That's sort of a big deal. When somebody when you're, let's say, pursuing somebody, you're doing a chase or you attempt to do some kind of thing where you're following somebody and they go into a house and they close the door behind them. You're now in a barricaded suspect situation. And the reason why those are very dangerous is because you don't know if the person's going to go in their room and pull out a, a gun. You don't know how the house is set up. You don't know the layout of the house. Maybe they're hiding behind a corner with a gun pointed at you. Maybe they have a little hole that they're pointing their gun through and they're just waiting for the cops to come in. Many police officers have died when they've sort of just you know, Rambo kicked down the door and gone inside. So what they do now is they show up at the cop cars and they, you know, this is the police. We have you surrounded. Exit the house. You know, that's what they do now. But this isn't really a barricaded suspect situation because we know that there's no hidden guns in the school. We know that he has guns. We know that he's actively killing students and every second counts. Those, that's, all, that's what we know, you know. Does he have hostages? Like, yeah, but I mean... Waiting for a SWAT team can be can be deadly. So anyway, um, let's move on from this Uvalde shooting here. We did have another shooting yesterday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Four people are dead. Um, I want to read just the um, just the headlines from that shooting, and then and then we'll move on from it. An assault-style weapon found at the scene of Wednesday's deadly shooting in an Oklahoma medical building has been bought that day. So he bought the he bought the. Um, the assault weapon, and then he went to this hospital to shoot them. We're not going to say his name. According to three federal sources briefed on the investigation, a gunman who was later found dead opened fire on the second floor of the medical building on the campus of St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa on Wednesday afternoon, killing four people. Fewer than 10 were injured, authorities say. The assault-style weapon was an AR-style firearm, a source said. A different weapon, a handgun, was purchased on May 29th, according to CNN. Two firearms, the semi-automatic rifle and a semi-automatic pistol, were both found at the scene. So, yeah, we have another uh, shooting in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So the conclusion of this is that, you know, whether they should be or not, the police, they're not great at sort of stopping these mass shootings as they're happening. That That is a fact. But, but I'm not going to say all bad things about the cops. What the cops are really good at, what they're really good at is parking their cars outside of the building that just had a school shooting. And, and, and just by the way they park their cars, you know there's been a school shooting. This, this they've mastered. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about here. But whenever there's a school shooting, there's always a picture of the building where the shooting was. And you can tell by the way the emergency vehicles are parked that there was a school shooting. And I'm guessing it's because there's some cop that shows up and he's like, all right, we got a shooting. We need, I need 25 cop cars parked out here. We need four ambulances. 
We need five fire trucks. Like, why are there fire trucks here? There's, a, there's no fire. People are getting shot. Why are they calling the fire department? In case somebody gets shot so many times in the face that they catch on fire? Well, I know in Miami-Dade County, anyway, uh, the fire department also acts as the EMTs. Yeah, I, I never understood that. That's like the fire department. I mean, this is a tangent of mine, but this is the fire department's way of getting more funding instead of giving more funding to EMTs. I think it's because there's no fires in Miami. Yeah, there's no fires, so they have to do something else. I don't know why they keep getting them those big, sexy fire trucks. You want one? I would take one if they're going to give it to me. But this, the police are very, very good at, right? They get 50 cop cars. They park them outside the building. They get seven ambulances. They park them outside the building. They get uh, 14 fire trucks. They park them outside the building. And then they say, okay, everybody turn your sirens on. And then CNN comes and they take a picture of the outside of the building. And just by that image, you know that there's been a shooting. You know there's been a shooting because of the way they parked the cars. So that they're very good off. If we could branch off from that to them getting better at stopping the school shootings, we'd be in a good situation. You know what I'm saying? Job one done, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, all of these things can be true at once. They're saying, oh, also barricaded. So they say barricaded suspect. The school wasn't locked. That's the whole problem. It's not, bar- it's not barricaded at all. It's an unlocked suspect. Yeah. Um, but look, um, you know, the, uh, since then, there's been a lot of talk about gun control. People on the right are saying we need to lock the doors in schools. Well, can we do? We can do both. Can we do both? Can we lock the doors and also have gun control? Have one door to the school, only one door. Okay, but I th- I don't think that that's a bad idea, Mark. Even if we take guns out of the picture, I remember when I was in elementary school. This is back in early 2000s. Um, we used to do these lockdown drills. And when they told us about the lockdown drills, they wouldn't say school shooter. And it's not even something that really crossed our mind. It wasn't really a thing back then, even though there had been Columbine and stuff. It was, at least growing up in Canada, it wasn't something that we thought about, oh, a guy's going to come in with an AR and shoot us all. That's not what they would tell us is, you know, if a, if a crazy person comes in the school, this is what they would say. If a crazy person comes in the school or a, cra- or a rabid dog, they would say that too, uh, we have to practice for a lockdown. And so it's not a bad idea to have one entrance to the school um, in case of a crazy person or a, a rabid dog. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's not that's not crazy, right? It's a fire hazard. No, okay, well, it's they're, they're one-way doors, so you could go out, but you can't come in, right? Uh, okay, yeah. It's like in a movie theater, right? Yeah, the, no. You can push the I doors open. I just think open. there were certain people advocating for literally having one entrance to the school. Yeah, no, that we don't want. I mean, my school had one entrance. The, all the other doors, were, they were open during the morning and at night, and then during the day they would close and they would lock from the outside, and there was one door at the front of the school, and there was a buzzer, the buzzer to get in. And really it's because they didn't want random people walking in and, like, stealing laptops and stealing, you know, stuff from kids and calculators or whatever was in classrooms. Um, I think it was more that. I don't necessarily think they were afraid of a school shooter. Now a lot of parents are afraid of it, and understandably so. I mean, if you had a kid who was in elementary school right now, that's what I would be thinking about before I was going to sleep. Is like you know, it's happened happened enough it's in happened random enough. parts of the country. It's like, and you listen to these parents talking about like, oh, I I just dropped off my kid. It was just a regular day. I dropped him off at school, and I never saw him again. So you know, if you're a parent right now, dropping off your kid, you're like, geez whiz, is this the last time I'm going to see them? You know. I think um, I think I've solved the gun control issue though. I would have a three point plan for guns. Three-point plan. Because I've heard a lot of people on both sides, and a lot of people are saying, well, the crime is through the roof right now, and I want to have the right to defend my family. So I'm like, okay, fine. So let's do it this way. First of all, I want to know where all the guns are. So let's do, just like your car has a VIN number, I want a GIN number, a gun identification number. Every gun should have a GIN number, okay? Every gun should have one. 
Every single one. And if you have one right now and it doesn't have one, then you need to register it. You need to call and you say, hi, I have this firearm, no problem. And they're going to give you a number. That's what I think. That's what they should do. That way we know about every single gun and who owns it. And if you're caught with a gun that doesn't have a gin number or gin number that doesn't come back to you, minimum five years in prison. No questions asked. I don't care if you're mayor of the town. If you have a gun that's not registered to you, five years in prison. Boom. That's rule number one under Liam's dictatorship. Rule number two, if you want to get a gun, you need to have a Gunver's license. You need to have a Gunver's license. Now, your Gunver's license expires every five years. It's very hard to get, and it's a little bit hard to renew it. And if you're not in the position to have it anymore, when you go to get reevaluated, it gets taken away from you. Having a gun... See, now, the reason why we're getting into trouble here is because I'm talking about this as if it's a privilege to have a gun and not a right. Whereas in America, guns are rights. right? So that's where I'd run into issues with the opposition. But I digress. I continue with my plan. Have to get a Gunver's license. You have to go to courses. Maybe you have to work two hours a night. It's a 40-hour course, 20-hour course, whatever it is. You have to pass a, a test at the end where they ask you questions. And it's a zero-tolerance process. If at any point in the process, the teacher says, Hey, you, you're done. Get out. It's over. And you have to wait 12 months to reapply. Ooh. Ooh, 12 months. Everybody's going to be on their best behavior. So if you want to walk in like Mr. Big Tough Guy, I've owned a gun for 20 years. Nobody's going to tell me if I can have one or not. Well, guess what, buddy? You better be on your best behavior or you're going to be out. Now, these people running these tests, they're going to think they're the shit. And guess what? They will be because they will have the first right of refusal. Now, third and final point of the plan, of Liam's plan. When you have a gun that is registered to you with a gen number, you are liable for whatever happens with that gun. You're liable. Meaning, if somebody takes that gun from you and goes and shoots up a school, ah, 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 you're liable, my friend. But it wasn't my fault. I didn't shoot up the school. Fine. Take better care of it. Keep it in a lock safe. Make damn sure nobody takes it and goes and shoots up a school with it. You want to sell it to somebody on Craigslist? Mm-mm-mm. You're taking a big risk, my friend. You still have the right to do that, but you're taking a big risk. Why don't you go give it to a nationally licensed firearm dealer and absolve yourself of that liability? Hmm, then that would make people want to go through them. And then you would stop having these maybe gun show deals. Isn't this a good plan, Mark? What do you think of this plan so far? Pretty good. I'm pretty on board. Pretty good, right? Everybody gets to have guns. Everybody can have 10 guns if they want with this plan. I'm just making it a little bit harder. And by the way, this would have stopped this Uvalde shooter and this Oklahoma shooter because I doubt they would have made it through Gunver's Ed. <laughs> I doubt they would have made it. All right, enough of Liam's political opinions. By the way, I said I wouldn't be political on this show. Guess what? I'm political, baby. I lied. I lied. All right, next uh, story here. The Biden administration. Now, the Biden administration cancels $5.8 billion in student debt for people who attended for-profit college. I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to explain what this story means. Hundreds of thousands of students who attended the for-profit Corinthian Colleges chain will automatically get their federal student loans canceled. The Biden administration announced Wednesday a move that aims to bring closure to one of the most notorious cases of fraud in American higher education. Now, you're asking me, Liam, what is a for-profit Corinthian College? I didn't know what this was. I had to Google it. So, Corinthian Colleges, Inc., Incorporated, was a large for-profit post-secondary education company in North America. 
Its subsidiaries offered career-oriented diploma and degree programs in healthcare, business, criminal justice, transportation, technology, and maintenance. Basically, in 1995, this company named Corinthian Colleges, with which created by a bunch of guys who had a bunch of money, they went around and they bought sort of like dying colleges around the United States, and they rebranded them Corinthian College. They spent a shitload of money on marketing, and they created this for-profit college system. So Corinthian Colleges was founded in February 1995 by David Moore, Pierre Bab, blah, 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 a bunch of rich guys, for a, pro- a for-profit operator of vocational schools based in Irvine, California, the companies whose business model was predicated on acquiring schools that were fundamentally sound but performing well below their potential, expanding rapidly through acquisitions and organic growth. Okay, so um, now they apparently um, went after people who were sort of in bad economic conditions, promising them that if they graduated from Corinthian College, they would be able to move up in the world. That was the um, that was sort of the um, demographic that they went after. Corinthian Colleges faced numerous investigations and lawsuits, including a federal criminal investigation. California attorney Kamala Harris alleged that Corinthian Colleges targeted single parents living close to the poverty level, a demographic that in its internal documents described as composed of isolated, impatient individuals with low self-esteem. Yeah, join the club. Who have a few people in their lives who care about them and who are stuck and unable to see and plan well for the future. Through aggressive and persistent internet and telemarketing campaigns and through television ads on daytime shows like Jerry Springer and Maury Povich. Do you want to make your life better? Go to Corinthian College. We offer degrees in healthcare, business, technology. You want to have a yacht? Come to Corinthian College, right? This is sort of what they did, and they targeted these people. And now, the federal government... Mark, first of all, have you heard of Corinthian Colleges? I have, actually. Okay, and did you know that they were like a scam or whatever? Yeah. Okay, well... Okay, so let's read read Miguel Cardona... um, quote he's the education secretary so quote as of today every student deceived defrauded and driven into debt by corinthian colleges can rest assured that the biden harris administration has their backs and will discharge their federal student loans said education secretary miguel cardona far too long corinthian has engaged in the wholesale financing exploitation of students misleading them into taking on more and more debt to pay for promises they would never keep now here's my issue with this how is this not every single college how is this different from any other college? Finding little 17-year-olds, telling them that they need to take this step to higher education and that they're going to that if they want to lead a life of this and that that they need to study and blah 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 blah. You know, you know, I went to the University of Miami. You know how much it costs if you don't have any financial aid to go to the University of Miami? 70,000 US dollars a year. Mark, do you know what 70,000 US dollars a year times 4 years is? Uh, no, but I don't want to know. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's $280,000. Now, I knew people who at the University of Miami, close friends of mine, who have student debt, who, who took out loans to go to the University of Miami. And they ain't running businesses right now. All right? And they have to pay off this debt. Most of them are living with their parents because their student loan debt is basically rent. That they're paying to the University of Miami. Now they were they agreed to this loan. They're now 21, 22. They agreed to this loan about when they were 17 years old. 
So when they were 17 years old, they were sold this $280,000 promise. Now, in my mind, that's basically like Jack and the Beanstalk. That's basically like Jack coming home to his mother and saying he traded the cow for some magic beans. Why don't we see that when the kid comes home? Mom, mom, I just committed to University of Miami and agreed that I'm going to pay them $280,000. Really? How are you going to pay this off? Well, I'm going to I'm going to be rich. They're going to I'm going to be I'm going to learn this I'm going to learn the skills to become rich. How is that different? Now look, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic that the Biden administration is going to help these poor people who fell for the Corinthian college scam. I fell for a scam. I fell for University of Miami scam. What about all the people who bought into Bitcoin? What about the people who bought a million dollars for an NFT of an ape? Who's going to pay them back? What about all the people on Instagram who post pictures with stacks of cash and post reviews saying that they sent this person 5000 and they doubled it? They post these tables. If you send me 1000 I send you 5000 If you send me 5000 I send you 25000 If you send me 20000 I send you 100000 And people send money to these scammers. Where's the Biden administration with that? What about all the people who invested their money with uh, that rich guy? What was his name? Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. They invested their retirement fund. These people are now working at McDonald's and Walmart. Stacking toilet paper and cleaning up vomit off the fucking floor. Who's paying them back? Why, why do we only feel bad for these Corinthian college people? What about all the people who got degrees in things that will not get them a job? You want to go study medicine? You want to go study nursing? You know what? There's a job waiting for you, my friend. You want to go study... Uh, Graphic design, you want to go study um, computer programming, you want to learn how to code. You want, oh, there are jobs waiting for you. You will be very successful. What about the people studying sociology? What about the people studying political science? What about the people studying journalism? I mean, they'll get a job in journalism, but they'll make 30 grand a year. Where is the money back for them? Have they not been screwed too? You know, it's really funny for me. When I was at my graduation, I had the headmaster of the school. I'm not going to name his name. Uh, Julio Frank, the president of, of, of uh, University of Miami. And he was standing there and he's saying, you now have the skills to go out and conquer the world. You now have the ability to go out and conquer the world. And... Um, and I was like, I now have a bill for $280,000. That's what I have. You want to talk about what I have right now, tangible things that I have? I have a bill. I don't have anything. If I'm a smart guy and I know how to do things, that's me. I already had that. All right? It's not because I wrote an essay about a book that you forced me to read that I know can go and conquer the world. Come on. Can we talk about real things here? So, look, I think it's great that they're helping these people who were scammed from Corinthian College, but I think that um, at the end of the day, a lot of people get scammed. And I'm not saying that all college is a scam. That's not what I'm saying, you know. But, but it's a lot of money, man. It's a lot of money. I mean, if I were to say, Mark, what's your dream? What do you want to do? What's the dream job? And I would say, really? Okay, perfect. I'm going to give you $280,000 grant to make that dream come true that's a heck of a deal, man. Instead, I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, hold on. G give it to me. I'll take the 280 grand and I'm going to come in once a day, 
once a day for a couple hours, and I'm going to teach you a class. And you're going to say, okay, well, I want to be uh, a rich businessman. I'm going to okay, come in. I want you to read this book about To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> and, I <want> you to <laughs> and I want you to write me an essay. Okay? But what about getting rid? What about the, the, the businessman? Oh, hold on, hold on. It's just the first step, okay? I want you to read this book. <laughs> you know? I think the, the real thing with this Corinthian College stuff is that they scammed out of all his money and then their papers their degrees are fundamentally worthless it doesn't go anywhere who cares write that you went to Yale on your resume nobody's gonna check it I don't know about that Liam write, write that you went to Yale <laughs> write that you went who, who cares who cares um but you know I mean this is this is the issue here um and and you know what the colleges do is they sort of teach you a bunch of stuff that you don't know because first of all here's the thing I work in a business okay I know all about upselling I know all about that and that's what the colleges did. They're like, okay, we need to teach. This kid wants to be uh, a broadcast journalist. We need to teach him how to read news on camera. How long is that going to take? And they look at the guy who knows how to read news on camera. How long is it going to take you to teach Mark how to read news on camera? And the guy's going to be like, I don't know, a couple of months maybe? What do you mean full-time? Me te- every single day? Me- yeah, every single day. Pff, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks? No, 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 that's not good enough. <laughs> no, no, no. We got to sell him a four-year plan. You got to stretch that out, buddy. You got to stretch that out. So then you have somebody say, well, why don't we teach them about math? And you're like, well, why do they need to learn about math? They're going to become broadcast. No, 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 no. They need to have a holistic, a holistic education. Now, holistic education is a, an excuse for them to bill you for a bunch of classes that you have no interest in taking. And what happens is that when you first go to college, you're like, what the hell am I learning? This isn't related to what I'm doing. And your parents say, no, no, it's okay. This is just your first, your freshman year. Freshman year, it's very broad, and then it'll get more specific. So just, you know, this is just the beginning. And then the second year, kind of the same thing. And then by the third and fourth year, you're like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. I've already done this for two years. I'm just going to get my fucking degree and get out of here. I'm going to start taking three classes a day. I don't really care anymore. And you forget about the fact that your degree is supposed to get more specific, and you don't care. You just want to have fun and party. You've already made your friends. You know what I'm saying? Not saying this is what I did. I was a very good student. I, I was very focused on my studies, and I was very successful in my endeavors. But not everybody's like that. Um, all right, let's stop ripping on college. Um, college is very good. Everybody should go to college, and uh, I should pay for it. I should have to pay for it. That's what I think. Isn't that what you think, Mark? You know what? I think you should pay for all of it, Liam. Me personally. The trillions of dollars it cost. How about everybody goes to college and Mexico is going to pay for it? That's like a Donald Trump solution. <laughs> Maybe that's what Joe Biden should propose. Um, all right, let's go to our last story. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, if you listen to the show, you know about this. Uh, we, we did a live stream of Miami Beach, and there was somebody parasailing. Do you remember that? And I said, oh, look, it's parasailing. That looks fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, isn't parasailing dangerous? And I don't, I don't know if you said anything. You were like, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I've never done it. I well, assume. somebody died, Mark. Well, there we go. It's dangerous. Somebody died over the weekend There's parasailing. So I just want to read this story because it's very, it's very interesting. Uh, this story was written today. Um, so here we go. New details have surfaced about a parasailing accident that left a mother dead and two children injured in the Florida Keys. According to the Miami Herald, Supraja Alapathi, 33, and her son, Srikashthis, and her nephew. Okay, anyway, this woman and her two kids, uh, they went parasailing, and both of the kids are critically injured. The mother is dead, unfortunately. This is a really terrible story. They were vacationing from Schromburg, Illinois, 
They were visiting in the Florida Keys. The incident occurred about 5 p.m. Monday. Oh, this was yesterday. No, today is Tuesday. Today is Thursday, Liam. I'm, dude, I'm so confused. This, by the <laughs> way, this is why we didn't have a show on Tuesday, because I have no clue what day it is. Uh, because of the Memorial Day weekend. By the way, did you guys have a good Memorial Day? Did you guys did you guys do the did you guys have did you do did you have a nice Memorial Day? I did. Um, did you did you have a memory? Um, I have a lot of memories. Okay. No, uh, my friend, uh, he's a master uh, pizza chef, and uh, we went to his house for like a barbecue pizza thing. It was really nice. Um, well, that's good. Um, I hope you remembered all the soldiers who died while you were having your pizza, because that's really what the holiday's about, and now well, people just have barbecue. Every time we uh, had a pizza, we raised one up for the boys. Okay, good. I'm not joking about that. I'm serious. You know, these, these guys, you know, they were on the beaches of Normandy, and now we're on the beaches of Miami Beach, totally forgetting why we're able to be here. A beach for a beach. So uh, let's get back to this poor woman who died um, and her two kids who are now orphans. I mean, I don't know if the dad didn't come on the vacation or if maybe the dad's not in the picture. They don't specify that in the article, but nevertheless, she's dead. The incident occurred about 5 p.m. Monday as a cluster of scattered clouds, isolated thunderstorms pushed off the mainland, wind gusts in the area of 24 knots and about 32 miles per hour. Uh, according to the National Weather Service. It was pretty much flat calm, but you could see the storm coming in. So basically what happens is these people are up in their parasail, the boat pulling them behind. The mom and her two kids are in the parasail, and then these clouds come. This is literally what this captain who watched the whole thing happen from another boat says, because the captain who's on the boat, he doesn't want to talk to anybody. He just killed you know, a woman. So we're hearing yeah. it from a, a person who was uh, on another boat. All of a sudden, the temperature dropped 10 degrees and the wind started blowing like crazy, said John Callian, a charter fishing guide and a good Samaritan who witnessed the incident and helped the boys to safety. Uh, he saw that basically what happened. Uh, I'm going to stop reading this article because I want to move forward and quickly here. Uh, we're going to do this very quickly. Um, basically what happened is the captain cut the line. He cut the line of the parasail because the winds were so bad, he was afraid that the winds were going to drag the boat and that more people would be injured. So he cut the line, and the parasail ended up flying into a bridge. So, I mean, just totally crazy. Totally, totally crazy. Um, Kellyan said the passengers watched the cable snap and the family drop into the water. He believes they were dragged for about a mile across the surface before they ran into the bridge. The tarpoon guide said he raced after the family as soon as he can. He cut the harness to free them from the chute. Um, he brought them onto the ship and started performing CPR. Um, so, yeah. So then you have this guy from the parasailing official department. Um, um, what did he say? Um, he never should have done that, said Mark Cullo, chairman of the Florida-based Parasail Safety Council. The golden rule is do not cut the line. I thought the golden rule is empathy, but apparently you shouldn't cut the line either. That's obviously really important. Um, I know exactly what the captain was feeling, but you never cut the boat line. No way. I would have never trained somebody to do that. That's their lifeline. I would rather rather wait out the storm, even if it scares the hell out of the passengers. I would rather have them come and yell at me for being an idiot and asking what's happening here. Even if I was being dragged backwards or had a hard time controlling the ship, I would just wait until the wind dies down. This captain obviously was like, nope, and he cut the line and ended up killing this woman. So look, I mean, it's dangerous stuff, guys. You know what I mean? It's This is dangerous stuff. And if you want to go parasailing, maybe spend the extra dollar to try to get some, some somebody who's uh, going to keep you safe. All right, well, that's the end of the show for today. We went for about uh, close to 40 minutes, and we do need to go now. We got other business to attend to here at uh, the office. But thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
Uh, we're going to bring you more details on the next shooting on our next show. Uh, we don't know where that's going to be yet, but we'll let you know when it happens. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time.